Hi, this is Bob McElligot thanking you for tuning in to this Blue Jackets podcast. Today, we have an edition of On the Call with Jeff Rimmer as he catches up with former NHL referee Kerry Frazier. Welcome back to another edition of On the Call presented by Buyers Imports by the Airport. I'm Jeff Rimmer and pleased to be joined by one of the uh, all-time great referees in the National Hockey League. Of course, now retired. We miss him. One of my favorites all time alongside uh, the late, great Red Story, a Hall of Famer in his own right. Kerry Fraser has joined us. And Kerry, it's been too long, but uh, glad you've joined us here on On the Call today. Well, Jeff, it's always a pleasure to be with you or your son. And uh, the, uh, the things that I miss the most about not being on the ice and around the rinks are the relationships like yours and mine that we were able to forge over my very lengthy career. I've got... Uh, legends of the game on my speed dial uh we get together we play golf we talk uh if somebody's not feeling well uh i reach out to to make sure that they and their family are okay so uh it's a fraternity that uh i feel so honored to be welcomed into uh especially uh as a referee or oftentimes in an adversarial role uh but building and developing those productive positive relationships I think was one of the main reasons I lasted as long as I did. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about a situation uh, a few weeks back now and Tim Peel and the whole situation there. Uh, What are your thoughts? And uh, certainly Tim Peel was an excellent referee. The players certainly enjoyed uh, the games that he worked, but uh, your overall thoughts on that whole situation and and just how it, uh, it came about and uh, the end result. Well, it really saddened me. uh, First of all, uh, Tim is a friend. Uh, he has had a, and enjoyed a very good career, uh, 22 years, uh, and then to have to end it uh, in, the, in the way that he did, uh, in somewhat shame, defamed. But you and I both know, Jeff, we've been around this game like 100 years almost between the two of us. And <laughs> don't, don't say it. <laughs> yeah, well, we know that referees do make up calls, to, but they have to... In doing so, you have to make sure that it passes the litmus test. You're not going to invent a call. You're not going to invent a penalty. It's got to have to stand the test of a replay. But there are times in a game, and I can attest to it, that I felt the game needed a penalty. It needed to do it for a certain reason, maybe to bring the temperature down, to get the players to play again instead of trying to whack each other with sticks. And that's where the successful referee knows the ebb and flow of the game, the heartbeat of the game, if you will, and the tempo of it. Uh, and it's, it's his job uh, not to kill the game, not to kill the heartbeat, but to bring the reins back a little bit when the horse is running out of the barn too fast. And that's what Tim meant, I'm sure. Uh, it, wasn't, uh, it, it came out horribly. The live mics are a problem, you know, the, around the rink. Uh, fans want to be in the game. You can't get a seat in it uh, other than minimally now. Uh, so the fans deserve to be part of that game uh, from the inside. And that's where the live mics and the extra cameras and, and miking up players and, and the officials announcing penalties, it enhances your broadcast. It enhances the game. However, there's got to be some limits set. We saw Eric Furlot following that, have a conversation with Simmons in Toronto, cover up his microphone with his hand, to have a discussion with a player. And that was much as much for the official protection as it was for the player, because we don't want players to be embarrassed either. Uh, Our job is to be neutral, 
to be a good adjudicator, but to feel the tempo and the flow of the game so that the fans get the most bang for their buck and the players get to play it safely and fairly. Now, do you think there's too much pressure on officials today? What with technology such as it is? I don't think it's too much pressure at all. I think it's actually, it's created a couple of situations. One, I was uh, applauded the fact that we had video replay when it was first introduced. I knew that it would show that I was right 99.9% of the time. (laughs) I was a little cocky, uh, but I had came up in a one referee system where I had to try and see everything. I wanted to see everything. So verifying the right call, especially on a goal, crucial. That's how the games are won and lost. We don't want to be the goat in a game. We don't want to affect the outcome negatively in a game as a referee. However, I've seen over time that there has been a reliance by the officials on the eye in the sky. And even to the point where their positioning is not as good as it should be, especially around the goal, they're standing deep in the corner. Sometimes I don't even see a signal when the puck's in the net because they have that backup, that safety valve. Even when we introduced the, the video replay, I wanted to see everything. It's my game. It's not somebody in Toronto. Uh, They're a support group. It's the officials on the ice. It's their game. And they need to stand up, step up, get in the right position to make the right call and try to minimize the mistakes that we all make as human beings. What would you like to see if you could make a change in the way games are officiated today? I would like to see because we have a crop of new officials. A lot of them are being recruited from playing uh, at the highest level possible, sometimes American Hockey League, sometimes in Europe and uh, major junior college, et cetera. They understand the game as a player. They don't yet understand the game as an official. You have to change gears mentally, visually. You have to see the play in advance, much like I saw with Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, I developed a positioning philosophy in the mid-1980s because I was too small to see over or around the big players. And I watched Gretz on a film clip, and his vision of on this play was incredible with a no-look pass behind his back to nobody else in the camera frame until Yuri Curry came streaking in full speed, and it was tape to tape. And I went, how did Wayne know that Yuri was going to be in that spot at that exact moment? And I came up with a philosophy that he shared and I learned. Uh, It's about seeing the game in advance, Uh, not where the play is now, but where it's going to be. And you'll see so many times officials in games that you and I, you're broadcasting and I'm watching, where the officials are in the way. They get tied up in the corner. The worst place you could be is behind the goal line. I mean, that's where the players battle for the puck. And you've got to give players their space to battle for that. You don't want to be part of the action, but you also want to move to a sight line that gives you the entire view they need coaching they need coaching gotcha biggest thrill for you uh, as a nhl official oh man jeff 2165 nhl games uh uh first stanley cup final worked and i worked with john d'amico and ray scampanella two hall of fame guys it was the flyers and and uh the oilers in 1985 uh, I got pressed into pivotal game four because uh, Andy Van Helman said his hip was sore that morning. And uh, it was just an incredible thrill for me and experience. But of all those games, and I had a lot of great games and put into certain situations where, where I was expected to take control 
uh, from a back-to-back kind of event. But the Winter Classic in Fenway Park in wow. 2010, January 1, and I'll tell you why. I came through that dugout, through the tunnel and up the dugout of that storage historic ballpark and I thought of all the ball players that had gone there, through that that uh, tunnel and I stepped up on the on the steps and there's the green monster and there's a rink and in deep short and we had fresh snow and the air was crisp I could taste it it took me right back to being a kid growing up in Sarnia Ontario my dad was playing pro I was 15 months old and I would put they put my little skates on the trainer and I'd go out and skate before practice grew up on backyard rinks and then that is the feeling i had as i came right onto the ice and there's bobby orr and bobby clark as the honorary captains in their jerseys i gave them both a hug and i took off jeff my feet felt like they were flying off the ice i was a kid again incredible experience all right how about the flip side biggest uh, disappointment or something you'd like to have back Oh, baby, that's a, that's an easy question. You know that one. That's the 93 uh, Western Conference missed high stick. Wayne Gretzky on Doug Gilmore in overtime with Glenn Anderson being penalized for the Leafs sitting in the box for trying to ram Rob Ramage's head through the boards and uh, having not seen that and, and not being able to guess. Referee should never guess. We saw what happened with the guess that was uh, critical and uh, in the... Um, Golden Knights, San Jose Sharks, yes. seventh game a couple Five of years ago. Yeah. Awful. And it was a guess. It was a pure guess based on the end result, the blood, uh, you know, coming out of uh, the years of, of the San Jose player off the faceoff. And so I learned very early, if you don't see it, you can't make a guess on it as something as major as that. There's going to be times when a referee is, is in a position and he sees a stick go in and there's going to be a reaction and he's going to put his arm up. You know, that's, that's sort of common sense. You might not see it like 100%, but the odds are that you've got to raise your arm because it's a foul. He strips him off the puck. Uh, but in those kind of situations and with the Gretzky Gilmore thing, and I pulled the two linesmen together and I could not get a firm answer from them, a definitive answer. There was some, ah, I'm not sure. I had to let it go. I had to eat it. Uh, we still didn't know after the game, uh, we hadn't seen a replay. Ryan Lewis, referee in chief, came in and said, well, it was a great game, guys. Uh, there, there may be a replay that Hockey Night in Canada has. Took them five replays to find it. Um, right. But nonetheless, that's the one that I definitely would want back. Now, you talk about uh, playing AAA midget uh, in Sarnia. When did you think that, man, this is where I want to go? I want to be a National Hockey League referee. Take us back. Well, I, t- I played to the junior A level. I was captain of the Sarnia team in, in the uh, junior A league, played Mark Howe was uh, the last guy I played against uh, that um, ended up uh, retiring from the NHL and an obvious hall of famer. Uh, my decision at the end, I had a whole bunch of U S scholarship offers. I had um, could have played in the minor pro leagues. Uh, Ted Garvin coaching the IHL went on to coach the Red Wings. He was a teammate of my dad's and uh, he said, Kerry, I've seen you in diapers. You are a good, tough little player. You play big. But he said, you're not going to make it to the NHL. You can play in our league and you can probably play in the American League. But you're not going to have a long career because of your physical stature. He said, why don't you get into officiating? He handed me a brochure to a referee school. I went to it that summer in 1972 when the World Hockey 
formed. Right. There was right. opportunity. I was scouted uh, by the NHL, Frank Udberry, Hockey Hall of Fame guy. Yes. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, uh, I guess, judge of talent in some degree. Uh, he saw me work 10 minutes of a men's industrial league game on the night before we departed. He met me in the dressing room. He said, I really like what I saw, kid. I'd like to have you come to NHL training camp. It's going to be in three days. I'll make sure we got a spot for you. And uh, he called me when I got home from Halliburton Hockey Haven, told me what I needed to bring for the 10-day training camp. And uh, they put me in the American Hockey League that year. And the next year, they signed me to a contract as a referee. The rest is history. What would you, uh, advice would you give to a young uh, a player who thinks, well, I might not make it to the National Hockey League. How about the next best thing? I want to be in the NHL. How about an official? What would you say? Well, obviously, your physical attributes, your skating ability, your balance, uh, and your knowledge as a player. Players are taught to attack the puck. Referees have to reverse that. They must retreat from the puck. So you have to see the game in a certain way, different way. You have to also have complete control and composure of your emotions. And I learned that in a battle with Wayne Gretzky in my very first meeting with him in my first week in the regular season uh, in 1980. And I won the battle that night with Wayne. He started diving on me right off the bat and I got really stubborn. Uh, the Broad Street Bullies, Philadelphia Flyers were playing. We didn't have a diving penalty back then, Jeff. So I made him pay. And I didn't call a thing on him. With the Flyers up one goal with a minute and a half left, Pelly Lindbergh caught the puck. I blew the whistle, stopped the play. Wayne behind the net in his office. Nobody around him. Jumped in the air, put his hands out one way, his feet out the other, belly flop. Bobby Clark skated over to him with no teeth. He said, get up, Gretzky, you blank baby. I went over. I said, Wayne, what are you doing? I said, there wasn't a guy within 15 feet of you. He said, well, you wouldn't have called it anyway. You haven't called a blank thing all night. I said, you're right. I'm going to start right now. Boom. You got two for unsportsmanlike conduct. He said, thanks. It's about blank time. You called something. And he stormed to the dressing room. Didn't even go to the penalty box. Now here's the kicker, Jeff. After every game, right to my final game, I have an amazing recall and memory and I replayed the games in the hotel room afterwards where I thought something could have been done better. I wanted to be the best I could be for the game. And that one hit me like a two by four between the eyes. I compromised my personal integrity. I compromised the rules. I compromised my employers, what they hired me for. I had to understand the things that made me a good player, a tough player that was never intimidated. It could cause me to fail because it was a reflex. I had to control that belly burn that when I was in a confrontation, that it just rose up, up, up. And when it got to here, if I didn't relax, it came out. And that was going to cause me to fail. I needed to recognize it. And I needed to develop productive relationships with players across the board. It was a major lesson I learned from the great one in our first meeting. And I would think at the end of the day that you did have that great relationship uh, with players throughout the National Hockey League. For sure. And, you know, Brian Murray, uh, you were you were doing the uh, Washington Capitol broadcast. One of my favorites then. of all time. We miss him. Miss him dearly. <clears throat> now, Brian in the early 80s was getting all kind of bench penalties. He was an emotional guy, right? You remember. He'd oh, yeah. stand on the bench. He'd flap his arms. He'd yell and scream. And this was happening one day in the uh, Cap Center in Landover. 
And I thought, you know what? Bench penalties aren't helping. I need to go over and have a conversation with Brian Murray. So I went over and Brian was literally spitting and flapping, you know, as he had that <laughs> Daffy Duck voice, da Daffy Duck. And I said, open palms mean peace. This is a lecture and this is, I'm going to knock you out. Other two are offensive. This is what I approached him with. I said, Brian, in a monotone voice, I'd love to have a conversation with you, but to do so, I have to have you please get off the bench and calm down. He immediately came down to my level and my level of emotion. I said, you, you may not agree with what I have to tell you here, but this is the reason I did or didn't do the, make the call. He thought for a second. He paused. He said, you know, right, Kerry, you're, you're right about one thing. I don't agree with what you said, but thanks for coming over. <laughs> and from that moment on, we developed a relationship. Brian, just give me a little wave. I'd come over and say, what's up, Brian? We'd have a quick chat and he'd get his answer and away we go. I love the man. Loved him. My, my favorite of all time. Brian was a dear friend and uh, he, he left us far, far too soon. In closing, the official, uh, obviously one of the best in the history of the game. I'm talking about you. The coach. Which coach did you have the most difficulty with and which player over the years bothered you the most? Well, first of all, the the player would be Theo Fleury and Knuckles oh. Nyland tied for first. Hate is a strong word, but I can literally and honestly say that both of those guys had a hate for me. And, you know, both of them were a little troubled, uh, which we found out later. Uh, but they're both dear friends of mine now. We right. did tours together for, for, you know, Special Olympics and such. And we became really dear friends. Uh, the, the coach... Um, you know, uh, Bob Hartley was a guy that, uh, in my very first game, and he was very, uh, vocal and abusive to our young guys in the American league. I gave him a bench penalty in the very first game in the first period that I had him and that set the tempo for him. But, uh, Michelle Bergeron and I had many debates. Uh, I guess Bergie was a guy, uh, an, again, a high emotion guy. We had that Alain Cote disallowed goal in the uh, game five of the 1987 uh, Stanley Cup playoffs uh, in the Battle of Quebec in Montreal. And he never quite got over that. Uh, so every time I had a game following that, Bergie was quick to get on me. What about uh, our guy here with the Blue Jackets, John Tortorella? I love torts. We got along really great from the time he was in Tampa and the Rangers and uh, you can't stifle people's emotion. And sometimes there's an over control, Jeff, where we're officials. And I think it's a lot of through insecurity, but you've got to let guys express themselves. That's the beauty of this game. We all, we love it so much. All of us, we all have a role to play in it, but to be able to let a coach vent or within a limit, and he's got to know your limit, but you've got to let him be himself. Al Arbor. Loved Al Arbor, Scotty Bowman too, but Al Arbor was a guy I had such respect for. Al Arbor never yelled, but when he did, I knew I screwed up. And one game in Chicago, this very disciplined team, uh, Islanders, four in a row. I mean, they were incredible. It was an afternoon game in Chicago, and I had them three men short right off the bat. Wow. I had a bad start. I wasn't good, I'll tell you. <laughs> so the third penalty, Al Stanley with his hands on his hips at the door, he wants me to come over. He said, Carrie, 
get over here. I skated over with my head down. I said, yes, Al. He said, <laughs> what the hell are you doing out here? I said, I don't know, Al. I'm really struggling. And his lips were pursed. And he went, well, get out there and try harder. I said, okay, Al. And away <laughs> I went. I got, it felt like I got a lecture from my father. And I got better right after that. Trust me. What an outstanding and fascinating visit, Kerry. I'll tell you what, we miss you around. We need more personality in the National Hockey League, and I can't thank you enough for your visit here with us on On the Call. Anytime, my dear friend, anything for you. All right, Kerry Fraser, the one and only former National Hockey League referee. And you know what? Not a guy to think in terms of perhaps down the road here, a Hall of Fame induction. For Kerry Fraser, I'm Jeff Rimmer. Thanks for joining us here on On the Call, presented by Buyers Imports. Once again, thank you for listening to this Blue Jackets podcast. Make sure that you catch up with all your favorite podcasts by subscribing to CBJ Radio wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, give us a rating and a comment as well.